Bonnelly is the premier podcast spotlighting people of color. Every week, we talk news, what we've been playing, and tell you who's invited to the cookout. Our show is all about talking about gaming through a prism of blackness because we are the culture. Welcome to Bukaka, y'all. What the deal be everybody here in Chicago? I hope you're all doing well. What the deal be? This is Khalif Adams. This is the Spawn on Me podcast with Khalif Adams. I'm your host this week and every week getting it in and making sure you're all doing what you need to do, making sure you're washing your hands, washing your butt in the pandemic, making sure you're doing everything you're supposed to do, making sure you listen to all the fantastic content we have here on the show. Again, thank you for listening this week and every week. Uh, it really does make the difference in all the cool stuff that we get a chance to do and all the conversations we get a chance to have with so many fantastic folks within the industry. If you missed our last episode, you missed a fantastic one that featured the founder of Double Fine Productions, the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Schaefer, came through to the show and came and hang out uh, and talked a little bit about, you know, all the things that that's going on at Double Fine. You know, they have a, a game coming out that you might have heard of called Psychonauts 2. So we're going to, you know, get a chance to play that when it comes out and, and have a whole bunch of fun with it. Uh, and we're going to continue to roll through and bring amazing guests from the Double Fine family into the show. I am super excited because one of the dopest folks on the planet, one of, my, one of the dopest folks who are in the space, who has been a pioneer and has worked on so many amazing, amazing titles, so many cool things on this place. Tiger Woods, golf, uh, you know, the Simpsons game, the Godfather 2, uh, one of my favorite games, Dante's Inferno, uh, that was a banger that lots of folks was were under the radar with. Uh, I am super excited to bring to the stage. We have Lisette Titri Montgomery, who is the art director for Psychonauts 2. I'm super excited. Welcome, Lisette, to the show. How are you doing? Lisette, what's good? How's everything? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Khalid? Good. I'm excited to have you on the show. We have been trying to do this for decades at this point. Yeah, a minute, a minute. I was like, I want to come on your show, but I got to wait till we're close to release. So I guess that's that time. Yes, it is super close. I am I am so hyped to be able to, to, to have you on the show this week. Um, again, I think one of the cool things that I love about the work that you've done in this space, because uh, we've crossed paths on numerous occasions in, in many different places. Um, and what I love about the industry is that the industry is very small. Um, I think a lot of people get it kind of twisted when they're like, oh, the industry is so huge. And, you know, I'll never try to I'll never like see the people who I worked with. I wanted to get a chance to talk to. And that's totally not the case. Like we ran into each other way back at um, at a big event, probably at GDC. Um, I think I was hosting the uh, fireside chats at that point uh, when they were there. And someone was like, do you know Lisette? And I was like, no. I was like, but I've heard I've heard of you in all the circles. Because again, if you think the gaming circles are small, the, the black gaming circles are even smaller, right? So it's like <laughs> knowing knowing and hearing people and be like, oh, I know who that is. Uh, you, we got to figure out who those conversations are. Um, but it's always been fantastic to be able to, to know that like folks like you have been in the space for, for a long time. Um, I think we think of the space also as being fairly um, having lots of newbies in it, right? Where like folks have been in it for like a year or two 
Um, but I want to give the folks at home and I want to give you a chance to talk about, you know, how you got into the business, how you got into the industry, your amazing pedigree uh, for all the work that you've done in this space for, for so many years. Um, let the folks at home who may not know exactly who you are, all the info about the work that you've been able to do. Yeah, I've been in the game for a while. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Um, so that's, you know, quite quite the history. Um, and you're right, it is a really small industry. Um, I often tell people like, you know, there's a saying that the world is has six degrees of separation. I'm like, in the game industry, there's two. Like, it's it's really small. And it really just needs to know someone to know someone. And it's literally that tiny. And your reputation, you know, also goes that way. So you gotta be really, really careful about the, the bridges that you burn and don't burn. Um, and I think in addition to that, you know, working in games as long as I have, you just develop a wide set of skills. And through those skills, you, you get to learn and meet a lot of really great people. And uh, for me, I've been able to work at large studios like EA and Ubisoft and small studios like Backbone and now like Double Fine, which is a mid-sized studio. So you get a wide breadth of experience. And I've worked across multiple types of games um, from sports to um I haven't. Done, I've done shooters. I've done a, you know, a runner. I've done a dance game. I've <laughs> done an open two open world games, um, and you know, and now an adventure game. Um, two adventure games. So you know, there's just this breadth of experience that I think I also like make sure that I share with people as I'm I'm out and about. And I think I'm sure if we talked, we talked about you know in our meetings talking about what it's like in the game industry and just like you know i like to give people the inside knowledge when i see them yeah so you know and thank you for sharing that i think the the wealth of knowledge that you've gained over the over the 20 years you've been in the space is invaluable it is one of those things where you know when we started the show that was a thing that we were hoping to 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 pull to the forefront we wanted the stories uh, of, of folks like you to be at the forefront of the conversations around the show um, and how we were able to kind of think about and bring about conversations, not only for a visibility part of the layer, which is always important, but I think the other part that kind of gets missed often is just how much knowledge that you know folks who are in the game space who have been there for a while can impart on folks, not only who are kind of working their way up through you know, all the layers of the game industry, whether it be dev or they be, you know, you know, working on the art side, which I'm so excited to talk to you about. Um, but there's other parts of that conversation, too, where it's just like, how do you, you know, how do you plant roots in the industry? Right. And how do you kind of figure out ways to, you know, broaden out conversations in that way? Have you have you seen over the years, you know, you've now become more of a mentor in that space to, to so many other folks? Uh, to be able to kind of give them good knowledge to be able to kind of figure out how to kind of maneuver within the space yeah i think it sort of comes naturally um once you've been in the space for a while to kind of take people under your wing um one because you've gone through a lot and you don't want to see people go through what you've gone through and two and more importantly like you just have a lot of knowledge to share and you want to see what people do with that knowledge and where they take it um so i think for me um I, I think it goes hand in hand, you know, the work I do with Game Heads um, Oakland, which is a nonprofit I'm on the board for, is about imparting that knowledge to them and seeing what they do with it. And I think um, that is a real, like, 
the meat of what's going to be happening in the future of games is what these kids are making, mm. um, what they're doing with the knowledge and the you know mentorship that we were providing them um, with like industry mentors, and then seeing what how they tell their stories through their voice in that space. Um, and that's where I'm focused my energy on as well, just like how many of our stories can we get out um, and how we get people in people's hands to play them. You know, at the end of the day, everybody's focused on what color and race someone is. But at the end of the day, we still got to do the work. Yeah. So a lot of stories to tell. I, I, I love that you that you nailed that part, because I think there is a I, I know, you know, I've, I've been in this space now for maybe 10 years proper, which also is wild to say out loud. But it's one of those things, too, where, like, even I am a little bit wary of the. So Kyle, you black in the space. So how's being black in the space? And I'm like, all right, there's other stuff I bring to the table besides that layer of that conversation but i do want to go back a step because i'll dig into that a little bit later but when you were getting your your feet wet into the space who are you looking to for mentorship in this space because you know we 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 constantly hear the conversation this is this is further back about the stories of jerry lawson and, and and folks like that but there are so very few stories of, of, of black and brown women in the gaming industry who have been able to kind of have that story kind of come to the forefront. Were there any folks when you were getting uh, into the space that you were looking to talk to and people who you were able to kind of mentor from? I think for me, because there were no black women of color who were in like executive producer positions or even art direct positions when I started, I kind of pieced together my net network mentorship mm. um, from allies that I had in the industry and, you know, people who, you know, saw potential in me and were able to invest in me. Um, and a lot of them were women. You know, I think, you know, women kind of are the ladder for each other. Like we pull each other up rung by rung mm -hmm. in this industry. Um, and, um, you know, when you're in an industry where the people who get promoted are often the ones they want to have a beer with, you know, those sort of relationships really do help. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, I just looked at inspiration and who was doing, you know, the kind of games that I wanted and really looked to what skills they were acquiring and how they are approaching their work. Um, so it was sort of like, you know, piecing a family together, I huh. suppose. That's interesting. And I, and I appreciate that because I think it is really hard to know what you're looking for when you're first kind of getting into the space too i think everybody's jobs has changed multiple times and i think so many folks in the game industry wear multiple hats not only in their career but at the same time when they're doing their position in general um i'm sure that you just did not start as an art director in the space uh, and coming through in that way um what, what were, were you like going through the kind of usual gamut of of you know, of roles? Did you kind of start in QA? Did you kind of start in, you know, were you in as a programmer? Like, where, what was the kind of, you know, ramping that you had kind of moving into the industry? Um, I actually started uh, in college. I was looking to get into film. So I was really interested in computer animation. So I was, you know, I was going to move up to California, work at Pixar, you know, I was going to get And I was looking for a job and I found something on Craigslist and it was for a video game company. Huh. And my portfolio was good enough for me to get hired at a video game company. So I kind of stumbled into it. Even though I played video games my entire life and I really enjoyed them, I just 
you know, my, my goal was like Pixar, right? Um, and then I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the interactivity. I fell in love with the fact that I could do multiple things, you know. Um, I started as a character artist, but I was doing rigging and concept. You know, I've always been the kind of person who's like, oh, you guys are behind and I got time. Well, I'll figure it out. Um, and I think that's how I kind of grew my skills, just being nosy and hands on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the nosiness part is always tough for me. I'm always like, all right, I kind of want to learn that thing, but I don't want to step on a toe and I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to do that kind of stuff. How much of the curiosity bug was the thing for you that kind of besides, you know, moving from route to route and, and saying, you know, you're raising your hand and being like, I want to help do that stuff. Was that always a thing of you being kind of intellectually curious and, and as a part of, of you as a human? Yeah, I would say a lot of my fun and troubles are because of my intellectual curiosity. Um, but I think for me, my intellectual curiosity kind of really led me to, was really driven by my desire to be autonomous. Like I didn't want to have to wait for someone to get something in the engine for me, or I didn't want to have to, you know, wait for someone to, you know, help me get this attack updated because this VFX could have you know, needs a tweak because we changed this one thing. And I was just like, just tell me how to fix it, you know? And people are happy to help you take bugs off their plate and they're happy to help you <laughs> take tasks off their plate if they can explain it to you quickly. So I think it was a mutually beneficial situation. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm i happy to hear that because that's also a thing that I think when you're new to a space, and there aren't a lot of folks who look like you in that space. I feel like a lot of folks kind of tamp that part of themselves down a bit. And they're like, I don't want to, again, I don't want to ruffle a feather. You know, there's a lot of, I think in the industry, you know, for a lot of young folks, happy to be there syndrome of like, oh, I'm in here. So like, I'm just trying to keep my head down and, and knock things out. Um, was there a moment when you were either at a studio or kind of transitioning from one to another and you had gotten that confidence up where you were like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I feel like I've, I'm nailing my projects and understanding the things that are, that are being given to me. And I'm thinking about kind of expanding my role. Do you remember that moment where you were like, okay, the, the, the imposter syndrome parts are gone now. Like I know where I'm at and I know how to knock this out and I'm ready to like start that process of putting my name in the hat for bigger and better things. Do you remember that moment? Uh, if you're an artist, there's never that moment. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize like how bad it was until I was watching um, like the documentary on like the last uh, Miyazaki film where he was like, you know, coming out of retirement to make his like 3D movie. And the whole film, he's like, excuse my friends, he's shitting on himself. He's just like, it's just sucks. That might be horrible. And I'm watching it and I'm like, this dude is, you know, he's up, you know, he's a legend. He's a veteran. He's been doing this for forever. And he's still going through this. <laughs> like, day after day. And I think it's part of the condition of the artist is to just, you're a perfectionist and you're constantly like pushing. Yeah. Um, so I think I don't ever, I've never had that moment where I, I don't feel like I'm in posture, but I have had moments where I believe in myself and my confidence and my ability to execute. Hmm. Um, I know enough to know that I found, I will find my way or I will fake it till I make it. Um, I think that moment really happened, you know, after I had like worked at EA for multiple years, I had taken on practically a whole department, you know, and I was just like, 
you know, why, like, why am I still thinking about myself in this small, like, happy to be here way? Yeah. It really is like, what can I do while I'm in this space? And I really began to understand that my strength was the fact that I was one of the few. Um, And the fact that I stuck out because I was the only black woman on the floor. Um, And I kind of was like, well, if everybody knows who I am, I'm going to get to know the people that I think can help me. And I think you have to kind of have that mental switch instead of like, yes, you're happy to be there, but we need you to be here because we need more people like us. Yeah. Do you remember that moment when, because I think this happens for, for a lot of people as well, where someone you really respect gives you props in a way that like you feel that in that really personal, like, oh shit, such and such just said I was dope when I did this project kind of deal. Do you remember those moments too? Like who's a, who's a person who like gave you that, like the nod of like, Hey, I see you, I see the work you're doing and you're, and you're doing some fantastic stuff. Yeah. I think I've had a few of those moments. Um, I think, you know, coming on as art director for Psychonauts too, was a big moment for me. Yeah. That's like, a, you know, there's a, a legendary track record of just amazing artists on this project. So, being chosen to be on it, you know, had all the imposter syndrome moments come on with it. But, you know, this is Tim Schafer's baby. And if he's asking me, then I'm, I'm worthy. That was a thing for me personally. I can't front. I'm not even going to lie because I got you on the show. When I heard that you were our, our director, I was like, yo, that's dope. That's a huge look uh, for a, a, a beloved franchise like this for a studio. We, we were talking to Tim about this last week about the just the good vibes around Double Fine as a company and as a dev studio where people, when they think of that 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 unit, that crew, everyone kind of lights up. They're like, man, I love Double Fine. It's, it's great to be able to do that. What was the what was the kind of conversation when you got the, the call for like, hey, let's like come through and, 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 and work on the project like that? You know, it was a bit more of a, a courting. You know, we had been talking Good. on and off. Um, at the time, I was actually working on South Park, um, huh. and I was like, you know, hesitant to leave because we were like trying to get to the project to a point where it was stable. Um, but at the same time, I was like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. That games like this don't come along very often. Um, teams like this almost never come along. So you just roll the dice and you take your blessings and you and you say your prayers and <laughs> you drink your water you do your workouts and you try to get through it every day <laughs> i mean i mean it's one of those things <laughs> i kind of love that because it is one of those things I'm, I'm sure people like you know we all have industry peers and i the thing i love about being black in this space is that when people get wins like this and get to work on projects that are that are bigger, really visible projects like this. There's a lot of good energy just amongst our own circles where we're just like, yo, yo, congrats. That's awesome. I love to hear that. So that's that's awesome to know that that was that's like a part of it. The courting part makes me really happy because that's like they were looking, they were searching. They were like, we got to get you to be a part of this project, which I love. Um, I want to talk about Psychonauts, too, because I think there's some really interesting things to dig into. Um, on that side of the fence that I think are really, really, really interesting. Um, this game is very, very different in in terms of 
the technology you get a chance to play around with to make the worlds look different, the way that you're kind of thinking about, you know, the the, the thematic parts of what this game is going to wind up being now. What were, what were the conversations you were having with the team to both be really true to the franchise while also being able to use this new tech and, you know, go wild with the way that you're thinking about this from an artistic perspective? Yeah, I think a lot of our conversations centered around uh, kind of experience and world we really wanted to deliver to the mm. player. Um, first, by taking into account, like, what Tim's writing could be. You know, we didn't start necessarily with a full script. All we did start was a premise. You know, like, what if we match these two things together, like a hospital um, and a casino? What would that look like? And how does that play into a particular character's backstory and psyche? Um, and so you kind of start by just, like, doodling, like, immediately. Like, you're just throwing ideas on the board. Um, I think one of the most powerful parts of our development process was our brainstorming process. Mm. Um, it was really cross-discipline. It wasn't just like concept artists in a room. It was like, you know, anyone who had a, st a stake in the level was in our brainstorms and we used like our, our classic um, IDO format for our brainstorms where we're really almost ad-libbing, like almost like improv, um, where we're trying to pull forward the best ideas and gather as much like good ideas from the team as we could. And I think that like harvesting of ideas from the team and then sort of taking that and then converging down to some really strong concepts and then doodling, you know, the hell out of them was sort of like the cycle that we kind of found work for a lot of like kicking off the initial looks of the brains. And then we get into the level design process from there. So for us, a lot of it was what kind of experience can we deliver to the player was the first thing. And then the tools and the technology and the team's talent came into play to bring that vision forth. What's the, you know, I think a lot of folks at home, you know, who are going to be listening to this on the audio version and the folks who are watching on Twitch, I, I don't think a lot of people understand what you do in that in that sense of what an art director actually does. Like, what's the what's the kind of layman's version of that for folks at home to kind of understand the full scope of what you bring uh, in a role like that? Yeah, I, I like to because sometimes you have to explain different roles in a very layman way, uh, yeah. uh, you know, when you're not talking with gamers. So for the layman terms, I, I like to say design makes the game fun and art direction art makes the game look pretty, right? Mm. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. Um, and at the end of the day, there's a visual language and a language of action and interactivity that all comes through the art that helps guide the player through an experience. And as an art director, it's your job to work with various art leads and design and engineering to bring all of those components together to a full vision and a moment-to-moment -moment experience. So it, I, it's like herding cats, but all the cats are on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're fun cats. I mean, they they want to play, but they're sharp at times. Um, so you're like trying to get all of these pieces to come together. And I always say, like, you know, I, I think gamers don't really appreciate how much a miracle it is when one of these things is actually done and they're done well, um, because there's so many pieces that can fall through the cracks and yeah. or go wrong or you make a wrong call or you don't get the resources you need. Um, and then there's a bad feature that people don't like. And I think we've worked really, really hard to make sure that doesn't happen with Psychonauts too. Yeah. I, th I mean, the thing that I, we're, we're, you know, for the folks who are listening in audio form and we're doing this on Twitch, like we're running some of the, you know, one of the trailers and the game just looks stunning. 
Like it is so many like little pieces of visual like splendor on the screen whenever you're kind of looking at 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 the work. What's the what's the thing that really got you excited about being able to kind of like tackle this IP in this way and kind of dig into because I think everybody who works on a project and especially when you're an art director, you you you're bringing not only the talents that you have from previous roles and previous, you know, uh, projects to, to space, but you're also, you know, everyone has their own special kind of flavor that they bring to to the table for a project like this. What's the thing that you felt like when you were thinking about what this game was going to kind of look like alongside the conversations with Tim and the rest of the team that you really wanted to nail? that you really wanted to be the thing that was that visual language that kind of came through really strongly for the player. I think for me, you know, I was really fortunate to kind of inherit this really strong visual style from the first game. Mm. And that came from Scott Campbell and Peter Chan's like original concept and having them come on as consultants early on to help kind of give us some target art to kind of draw and drive some inspiration for how levels could look really helped. But I really think what I brought to the table was an understanding of how narrative and all of the proponents need to come together. Um, you know, a lot of the experience I had working on South Park and the writing team on that on that project and trying to, you know, meld gameplay with story in a seamless way mm. that we like we did in um, the Fractured Butthole. Um, kind of really translated here. Um, but, you know, even with an even bigger scale, I mean, that game was like two and a half D. This game is full 3D, fully immersive. Um, it's an acid trip of a game. And I think for me, what we really wanted to focus the team on was not only being true to the first game, but really nailing the variety of worlds and experiences that the player is going to have. Yeah. Um, I kept, you know, we kept reminding ourselves, like, no two people are the same, so no two brains are the same. And so for us, our production process was making sure that every single mental brain that you go into feels like a unique space. So we had essentially like a mini pre-production for every single brain. Usually there's like a production phase for the entire game. Not this one. We had more for every single brain. So we had to do like little mental worlds to kind of prove out a proof of concept, like a pretty corner to say, okay, this is a look I think we can execute with our technology. And then that would just, you know, we would move that into white box and it would just explode into a full level. Um, so I think a lot of that was narrative, story, process, and also like just really focusing on nailing a kick-ass experience. Because you only get to play this once. This is a single player game. Right. That's dope. I mean, uh, I'm I'm always you know amazed at just how far we've come. Like uh, I'm old enough to have been a child of the late '70s, uh, and being in the like beginnings of the video game, you know, uh, uh, the video game space in general. That technology is not that old, uh, but we've moved so fast in terms of technology that we now are seeing things that look like this um, and we're able to play that at home. How, how cool has it been to kind of be able to touch technology in that way, especially kind of with, you know, next gen consoles being in the space now, you know, this is going to look even better than it's ever been. You know, do you feel like, you know, especially since you've been in the game so long as well, that like, you're excited at the fact you get to play with all these fun tools now that, that kind of help you get, any of the visions that you had in your head out into the world in that way? It's a really exciting time. Like, 
a game like Psychonauts 2 is typically made in a larger studio with three, 300 people. Yeah. 150, 300 people. This game was made with 70 people, right? Wow. And that speaks a lot to you know the technology we have, what we were able to do with the Unreal Engine, the team's talent. You know, we were able to punch above our weight because we have really multi-talented people on the team. Um, and when you have the three elements like that, like a strong team, a good technology that's efficient, and the ability to punch above your weight, I mean, you're kind of given a recipe for success, you know, and I think with Tim's writing and everything coming together and, you know, the visual style being what it is, you know, you just kind of have to work with, you know, the cards you're given. And I was given a very good set of cards. Yeah. How hard was it to, you know, the process is always difficult. The the conversation that you hear from most devs is like, it's a miracle that a game gets made. It's a miracle (laughs) that a game actually gets out into the world for people to play it because it is very, very hard to make game. How hard has everything been from the art side of things dealing with the with the pandemic? It, I'm sure it's super hard when you have the like usual like, oh, I'll just look over your shoulder and see what's going on and what you're working on. How hard has it been to to kind of change the way you've been working and, and the workflows to get a game like this done during during the pandemic? I think from a workflow standpoint, we were pretty fortunate that you know prior to the pandemic, we had systems and process in place for people to work from home. We were already like a flexible work space and we had some full-time employees who were already offsite. Mm. Um, so from like a functional standpoint, um, I give my hats off to our IT team, you know, Justin and Aaron, um, they got us up and running extremely quickly at home. Um, I think the challenges really came to how do you structure like a Zoom call or how do you structure, <laughs> how do you have like really in-depth creative discussions when you're not in the same space and you can't touch and feel and paint and draw and sculpt, you know? Um, So it requires that you just have like more communication. You're kind of repeating yourself, you know, multiple times and, you know, you're trying to have conversations in the open so that everyone is on the same page. So the challenges are are more communication based. Mm. Um, And then, you know, you really, you know, you already have to rely on art to communicate and you just have to really lean into that when you're not in person. Like, so everything gets a draw over. (laughs) (laughs) Constant, this constant visual communication, I think helps. Um, I think the other, the elements is like, you know, we've worked with some outsourcing before, so these processes are already there. So there were some skill sets on the team to know how to work remote. So I think overall it has been challenging. um, And I would have preferred if we were able to make this in person, just because it's so much more fun to be on site and and laugh and have a joke turn into something that shows up in the game. But we are able to make that happen um, from home as well. It's it's so funny because I, I, so many folks who I know who, have creative jobs where you're in those spaces and having those conversations, you know, in those kind of, you know, next to each other uh, times. It's been so funny to hear people say, damn, I would just had a, I wish I was in a room with somebody so I can just whiteboard this and just do it really quick and just type it all out and, and draw what I need to say and, and make that stuff happen. So it is, it is really interesting to see that, that and happy to hear that it wasn't as bad for, for, for the work you are doing in that space and kind of making that happen. Um, what's the, what's the, what's the first thing that you're really excited for people to kind of dig into, uh, again, broadly, cause we don't want to give anything away. Um, but like, what's the first thing you're really hoping people kind of come away from with the game when they get a chance to have it in their hands for the first time? Um, 
I think once you start playing a game, you really immediately understand that this is the cinematic experience. Mm. Like, this isn't a skip the cutscenes, like rush to the next mission kind of game. If you're playing it that way, you're kind of missing out on the good stuff. Um, and I think when people start playing our game, they immediately like, oh, hold on, this is different, you know? Um, and like I said, you play this game once, so you really do need to approach it from like, I'm watching a really good movie that I, you know, I paid a lot of money in the theater to see, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, and I think the other thing they're gonna really get uh, just sort of immediately like smacked in the face with is how abstract and surreal this game gets immediately. And it has these very unique surreal moments throughout it. And we do a lot with time and space and color to kind of play around with your sense of where you are in time um, and who you are and what's happening to you. And I think that is a really cool, fun thing that people are just going to love and talk about. Like there are key moments in this game where you're like, what? Um, (laughs) Because the world is just completely shifting around you. Oh, I'm so excited for the game. I'm again, like one of the things that I remember from playing the first game was just how stunning everything was for that time. Now seeing that we're going to be pushing this into the future, which is the now, uh, I'm just so excited to see, you know, all the work that you and the team got your hands dirty with to see how you're thinking about these worlds and these brains and these conversations and these ideas that are going to be living in, 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 in this space. So I'm super excited about that part. Um, we're almost out of time to, to, to hang out with you, but I, I don't want to, I definitely want to give some time to game heads. Cause I think what game heads is doing is extremely important. Um, and of course I see those wonderful, uh, uh black and gaming awards behind you as well. Two time winner, two time winner, <laughs> getting the, getting them awards in. Give the folks at home a little info about about what GameHeads is in, in the work that you're doing in that space, because I think that that is so f- fantastic and amazing. Sure. Um, the org is called GameHeads Oakland, but now we have a live program that is national. And it's essentially, in, in a very short way of describing it, it's a game school accelerator. Um, we work with youth of color here in Oakland or people who are economically advantaged. It's a free program. Um, and throughout the year, they are given training from industry professionals on how to make their first game. So they kind of start with instruction. Um, we have people from Riot and Ubisoft and um, Unity and Facebook teaching our students, you know, game development lessons um, and then in the summertime that culminates into like a, like a summer long game jam and then there's a huge showcase at the end of the summer um, and then you know we have students who are roughly like in high school all the way through college um, and so they convene and they make games throughout the year and we're finding that our students who have been in the program for multiple years a lot of them are in, in college and also in our program are now starting to get hired so this year we had over 20 students get hired into 31st Union, um, EA, um, you know, they're double fine. We just got our first um, engineering intern, shout out to Rebecca. Um, <laughs> and so you, you're, we're finally seeing like, the plan is working, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> all of our little minions are starting to get hired and, and grow. And I think a lot of that has to do with our mentor network. I mean, there's a lot of industry people dumping their knowledge into these kids and um, you're starting to see that bear fruit. That's so dope. I mean, uh, again, one of the conversations that I hear often is about the pipeline and how we're trying to infuse that and, and make that better and try to figure out ways to 
you know, get folks in the space who, who are eager and who are, you know, knowledgeable and are curious because you're working with, with, with you know, folks who are younger in the space who are learning and kind of getting into it. Do you, you know, I still feel like being in the video game industry isn't a thing that we see a lot of folks in our community even think about in that way. What what are you hearing from kids who are kind of like starting that process to say, like, I played this thing and it spoke to me and that's the reason why I want to do this? Or is it like, it, what's the conversations that you're hearing when you're first kind of pulling people into the funnel to say, like, yeah, this is the thing I want to do and I want to try to figure out how I'm going to actually do it. Can you help me? Yeah, we don't have any problem with anybody in the funnel. I'm <laughs> tired <laughs> <laughs> keeping up with the demand. Um, but I think what we're overall hearing is people are looking for a way to express themselves in a medium that they love. This is mm. no different than music. This is no different than art. This is no different. This is another form of expression. And people who enjoy that art form want to express themselves in that art form. And this is the same thing. Um, I think the challenge comes with when you're a first generation American and you tell your parents you want to make video games, you know, that's a hard hill that some of them have to climb. Um, but once they talk to, you know, the board members and the mentors, they're like, you make how much? And then they're fine, <laughs> you know. Or they understand that this is a this is bigger than the movie industry. And then they're like, oh, it's just a world they don't understand, right? Um, but once they understand that it opens them up to the tech world, you know, that kind of goes over. But I think that the biggest thing we focus on with our students is the mentality of what it takes to be in the game developer and in the tech space, um, how you approach conversations, how you approach problems, and most importantly, how you infuse your identity into your work. Mm. What's the, and this is a really simple question for a really broad answer, but during the work that you're doing and, and the work that, that all of you and the rest of the Game Heads team is doing, what is that kind of thing that still feels like the big bridge that we have to cross like i think for a while it was just visibility and then there was a conversation around the socioeconomics around getting machines so that you could you know even start to learn what it was like to to, to code or throw unreal engine on your machine and do that work and do some of that stuff what what feels like there is that one or two pieces of stuff that's still in the space that is a real hard nut to crack when it starts to get people into the game industry in that way? I think the hardest nut to crack is actually funding. Mm. I think there are a lot of people who have great ideas and people who have strong prototypes and because they don't fit a specific genre or they don't fit someone's you know stereotypical definition of somebody who could be funded, they're not getting funded. And I think that that is the real, the real hurdle we have to cross is how can we identify diverse game developers and how can we make sure they get funding so that they're successful? Um, we're kind of expected to just launch without resources, but you know, many people in our community don't have, you know, they're not independently wealthy. We don't have inheritances to live off of, you know, we're, we're scrapping it together. Um, like many of the indie studios are. So I think, there really needs to be something done to address the lack of funding that are going to developers of color because there are so many amazing ideas. And I think when you really look at the market of what's opening up, I mean, there's no coincidence that everyone is talking about diversity. I mean, when 5G hits, you know, you're looking at 3 billion players, not the 1.8 we have now. Mm. So who are going to speak to these people? Because most of them come from 
countries of color. You know, they're from Latin America, they're from Africa, they're from India, they're from China and rural parts of Asia. They don't look like your current players right now. So uh, I think there's a lot of people who would be remiss not to find some money and, and throw it at some talent right now. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has shifted the way that I think the conversation has looked for a lot of us in the space, right? Where it used to, again, be that conversation about do it for the good of the industry and do it for the good of the world, which I think is, is always an underlying part of that. But I think when we're pitching stuff to folks and seeing those conversations happen in, in the boardrooms and in the back rooms, I think that conversation has shifted a lot to you're really missing out on an audience that is there and is willing and ready to buy your stuff and wants to be a part of the ecosystem. And you're messing it up by not paying attention to it uh, because you're kind of lazy about it. Uh, are you feeling that that's that's kind of been the shift as well? I mean, I've felt this since I've been in the industry. Mm. You know, I see how games are marketed. I see who they speak to. And I'm like, there's this whole half of the population that you're not seeing. Um, and I think we've gotten a lot of them by accident mm. because they love games and this is what they want to be doing with their time. But I don't think we really listened to them or made products for them or created spaces that are really speaking to them yet. And so I think there is a second phase of gaming that's coming where there are really strong creators that are going to be coming out with games that play nothing like what you're playing now, um, who speak to people you're not looking at. And I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to making games for those voices because those are my voices. You know, those are the people that I, I, I understand. Um, and I think I know there's billions of them. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to end, end our interview. I, 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 Again, like I've been following your work for a long time. I'm a huge fan of everything you've done. Again, we, we roll in similar circles, um, but I'm, I always come away from, you know, seeing interviews you've done and, and hearing conversations and luckily being an, a, a fly on the wall of, of some of them with saying, I just want the space to have more of you in it. <laughs> and I want to have more folks who are doing that work and thinking about this work in that way in such a thoughtful and brilliant and, and, you know, way that just connects all the dots together. And I think Gameheads is doing that work every day. Um, and it's fantastic to hear, you know, how many folks have come through that program and who are coming through that program and, you know, getting their feet into the industry that we all love. Um, is, is, is there stuff that we can do or the audience can do to help you all kind of move the needle even even further forward? Is there, you know, fundraising or is it, you know, are you doing other projects that we can, you know, potentially as an audience get involved with? Sure. Um, donating to GameHeads is always a, a good place to start. Um, GameHeadsOakland.org. We take donations through their website. Um, we have a summer showcase that happens at the end of the year. I think it's August 25th. I'll have to double check that. Uh, where we showcase all of the games that our kids are have, um, are making this year. Um, so that's a really great program to attend and just kind of see, you know, what wacky games are coming out of our students' heads. And in addition to that, mentoring. Applying to be a mentor is a major way to really contribute. Um, transferring your knowledge to another student really just shapes and changes who they are moving forward. I've seen some amazing things happen to our students um, from their mentor relationships. Um, and I think if you really wanted to get back and you had the time, that would be my number one recommendation. Just you know, share your knowledge, um, share, share what you can. Um, these kids are really just 
they're sponges and they inspire me you know that's why i keep doing it they they keep me young i keep them informed it's a symbiotic relationship i love it i love it where's where can folks find out more info about game heads and the work you're doing sure gameheadsoakland.org is the name of the website dope 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 set you are brilliant thank you so much for coming through again hopefully we can have more of these conversations in person once everybody gets their stuff together and gets shots in their arms and makes it happen uh but i'm hoping that we can chop it up in person and, and have more conversations and of course i, I want to do more work with y'all over game heads and figure out ways to, that we can do some cool stuff with spawn on me and y'all to see if we can make that happen so i am down i'm raising my hand uh so please please you know tap me on the shoulder if you need me for things and i'm and i'm totally down all right i'll definitely keep that in mind if and if you want some cooking lessons you can always call me oh my god the shade the shade (laughs) shade. hey man i make a mean jerk chicken you want these lessons that's true i do i need a good oxtail recipe and i need a good jerk chicken recipe also paris lily's in the chat and he's excited and happy now that you said that damn it (laughs) damn it damn it damn it um Lissette, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to go take a quick break. Uh, we're going to let Lissette go, and then we'll be back with a little bit more Spawn on Me right after the break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Bricago. Merrick Kay here from Fanbyte. Did you know that Spawn on Me is a part of the Fanbyte Podcast Network? We produce a ton of other great shows like Channel F, a podcast where we talk about the games we're playing. Can I just say yeah. how much I would love for there to be a Hitman game that's just about making people experience embarrassing social faux pas, trying to like prank people and make it seem like they had farted or like tripped on something. <laughs> that would be like very good. Dig up weird finds at thrift stores. So the <laughs> listing says Bung Doctor V64. <laughs> and take your questions about the best jokers. Labars Martin asks, what's the best or coolest weapon ever given to a mech? Gundam Fusion Rebake has a really oh, good- wait, give, me, give me that one more time. Gundam Fusion Rebake. Yo, I heard you. <laughs> Gundam Fusion. <laughs> I personally guarantee that listening to Channel F will make you a better, smarter, more powerful version of yourself. So go to fanbyte.com slash podcasts or search for Channel F on your podcast app of choice today. Improvement not guaranteed. Listening to Channel F may cause geofication. Welcome back to the Spawn of Me podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. What the deal be? I hope you're all doing well. Wow. What a fantastic interview with Lissette Tree Montgomery, art director on Psychonauts 2 from Double Fine. I don't think you get interviews like that anywhere else but spawn on me i don't think you do i think this is the place to make that happen i think this is a place where all those amazing conversations happen and no doubt we root it we come with the bangers every time i'm sad that i got shaded about my cooking by one of my favorite people in the industry but it's fine i'm not sad or anything go check out you know game heads gameheadsoakland.org please go make sure you're checking that out make sure you're giving um you know all of the work that they are doing some love it is important to be able to see uh you know folks who are doing that work in a bigger and broader way come and and, and knock it out of the park knock it out of the park uh big fan of her work for a long time you know we both are fellow black and gaming award winners so it's always great to be able to have the champ the champs be here. Um, 
not a lot of actual stuff to talk about. I think gaming news-wise, the, the space is kind of quiet right now because of E3 news and, and everything that happened during that week. So there's not a lot to actually dig into. So this part of the show was going to be pretty short. Um, there were, I think, two things that actually were kind of interesting in a potential way. Um, I, and I don't know. Well, well, first of all, let's just talk about um, the new Aliens game. Aliens Fireteam Elite uh, is a co-op shooter in the vein of kind of Left 4 Dead, but around the uh, kind of Left 4 Dead style of gameplay for people in a map all working around with that IP. Uh, noises and sounds and stuff that you know and come to love from from a from a uh, a series like that is going to be broadening out. I'm actually really excited because that game is coming out on my birthday this year, which is dope. August 24th, uh, it'll be dropping on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Windows, Xbox, uh, Xbox One Series X, uh, S, all those things. Uh, the name was changed. Uh, because Cold Iron Studio announced a release for Aliens Fireteam on Wednesday. They dropped it. Uh, the game is going to be 40 bucks. Uh, it's a story-driven campaign with some customizable Colonial mar- Marines. Deluxe Edition is going to be 69 bucks. That includes uh, four cosmetic DLC bundles, some skins, weapon colors, uh, and some other stuff that is going to be in the box with some free major gameplay updates throughout the time that the game is going to be out. Um... I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be interesting in the way that they're coming to this game. Uh, it's always hard to know how those things are going to work because we've I've not seen anything from that studio before. Um, but I'm excited to see a game around that IP be in this space. I love Aliens. I'm a big Aliens fan. Love that whole uh, uh, genre of, of, of games. So excited to see that that's going to be a thing um, going forward. Um, so hyped about that being a thing. The one other story that I think is actually kind of interesting. Let me see if I can find a picture to go along with the visuals here. Um, let me see something. Uh, let me type a thing real fast while it's working. Um, so there was a conversation about Twitch that happened the other day um, around the new, I guess, new genre or not new genre, but new idea of people doing ASMR, but doing it in a kind of super sexual way. It's it's weird um, for a lot of different reasons, like the conversation has been really interesting to see because of course, Twitch has been Twitch has been for a while now struggling to figure out how to, uh, you know, set good guidelines and good and good guardrails for potentially sexually explicit, um, content. We saw that they have moved into a space where, uh, they gave hot tub streamers their own category so that if you wanted to kind of go towards that content, than you could ASMR stuff has always been, you know, on this, on the site, or it's been on the site for a while now, but there is this really interesting mashup now of what people are calling ear licking ASMR 
which also is weird. Like I am not a fan of ASMR. ASMR doesn't do anything for me. It sounds like big ass wet mouth is in, in your ears. I don't like, I don't understand it. I'm not saying anything's wrong with it. Whatever your kink is, do what you got to do. I don't want you sounding like you eating a big old messed up Paris rib in my ear while you're doing stuff. I don't get it. I'm not, I don't understand why people are liking it. It sounds creepy to me. I don't know why people like it, but it's a thing. It makes, you know, the folks who are in that category, especially the women, a lot of money, which is dope for them because I'm, I support people making that kind of money and do what you got to do. If you got a whole bunch of horny dudes online, G them for their money, game them for their dough. I don't care. Let them do what they need to do. I don't understand why you would spend money for that, but if you want to do it, that's fine. The thing that I think is weird, and this is the reason why I think that there's a weird uproar around it. And I, this is the part that I don't understand from the pro, the pro ear licking ASMR folks on the, on, on the thing there. Cause there's been this weird energy between the, like, you should be able to do whatever you kind of want on Twitch audience. That's like, we want to empower people to be able to do what they want. We want to empower people to make money in the way that they want to and do all that kind of stuff. And then there's like the kind of, really not great versions of that conversation on the opposite side. That's like, this is being ruined. This is the same kind of grouping. That's like the, 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 the titty streamer conversation of like women are showing their boobs and they're getting them all getting a bunch of money and that's ruining Twitch. That's a dumb argument. That's just stupid. Like, again, if people are going to spend money for that, I'm not spending money for that. But if you're spending money for that, I have no beef with that. If they're making money off of that, understanding that there's a horny ass contingent of people who want to spend money for that, by all means, men are dumb. We spend money for stupid stuff all the time. Uh, so do what you want to do with that. The thing that I find interesting is that there is no conversation of an in-between space, which is in there, right? Like, like this is unreasonable. Like, I don't care where your, where your stance is. This is an unreasonable picture. There's no reason why this should be on, on Twitch in this way. Like this version of that is un is unnecessary. Not to say that what she's doing is wrong. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing. No problem with what she's doing. Lick on anything you want, get paid, get money on that. But you also can't say that you're not trying to do something that is sexually suggestive if the first thing that is in camera shot is your ass, is your ass, you just can't, you just can't. There's no way you can do that and be like, I'm not doing anything that's sexually suggestive and I shouldn't get banned for that. And Twitch should be like, I'm gonna just rock with it. That doesn't make sense. You can do that same content face forward and lick all the things you want. Everybody been licking on the big ass ear microphones since they came out. Nobody is stopping you from doing that. The thing that is also really weird is that we have so many repeat offenders. Dr. Jones in the chat says, how about it was her fifth ban and it was a three day ban. That's another part of that, which I think is really not okay. There has to be some kind of conversation from the Twitch spaces where you got to get a perma ban. You've been banned mad times 
there are so many other places where if you want to do that specific kind of work, you can do that work. People have OnlyFans and do all the stuff that they want to do, even though OnlyFans is now trying to move away from more, more potentially porn kind of content. You can go do that work over there. You can do that work in other spaces. That doesn't have to be a Twitch-centered centered thing. You would probably be even smart, smarter to double up. Do those butt butt forward earlick streams on your OnlyFans and then do the regular ASMR streams on the other one because if you're rocking something where your cleavage is out and people are going to pay attention to it and want to pay you money for it anyway, anyway, you can make the money there. Make you what that's like a weird, not smart business move is like double up on the money, do the almost do the soft core version of it on Twitch and then do your hardcore version of it on OnlyFans and double up and make money. I don't understand that. It's a really weird time on Twitch. Again, I have no beef. What's up, Flock? I got no beef with people doing what they need to do and what they can do to make money. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wearing whatever you want on Twitch, putting out whatever you want on Twitch and making money on it. I have no beef with that. That's super smart. Use the dumbness of men to make bank in a world where misogyny is paramount and all those conversations about, you know, empowerment are there. I think that that is extremely feminist to be able to do that move and do that in the way that you want. Make that move, make that stuff. Play off of dumb men and make make them pay the money that they want to pay. But you don't have to do it with your ass front, like your ass in the camera all the time on the thing because people are like, yo, let me see it. Like, Twitch ain't it. Twitch ain't that spot for that. And, and I think the conversation around Twitch now being wishy-washy about that is weird. I think that there is a way that you can do that work in a space where Twitch gets to say for the growth of our platform and the potential conversation about how we want to deal with ads and sponsors and all that kind of stuff, you are fucking it up for us because you couldn't do your stream in another spot that does that kind of work. I think that's fine to be like, yo, you can, you can do it. Just not here. I think that's okay. I think that's reasonable. That's super reasonable as a, as a, as a, as a platform and as a brand to be like, do that work. Just don't do it here. And I just wish that it was a thing where everyone could kind of come to that real deal consensus and say like, yeah, we're pushing the envelope a little bit. We're trying to see how far we can take it. And we, we got our hands slapped and let's not do it. But Twitch also has to be way smarter and way more real and on and understanding about what that means for their platform moving forward. If they continue to either let content like that rock or not ban people in a real way for breaking the rules multiple times, I couldn't do that with my channel. I am deathly afraid of doing terrible things on my channel. Anything that can be misconstrued as bad or terms of service breaking because I've spent a good amount of time trying to build this channel up because I understand that the platform that we have on here is very, very special. You can do things here in a way that is different than I can do on YouTube. Cause if that was the case, I would have moved to YouTube a long time ago. Podcasting content would work better on YouTube. This show 
would work here. I hit end the stream. That joint is uploaded to the show. I mean, up to uploaded to the, the platform and I wipe my hands and like I'm done. And the visibility and the way that the SEO works is better for this kind of content. But I love working with Twitch because they understand the power of the voice of this show. And they understand that we're doing something very different. And they understand that we're doing something that is so beneficial to the audience because there isn't content like this on Twitch. We are, we have a very dope lane that we roll through and a lot of people can't do the work that I do on this platform. They, they're not, they don't have the chops for it and they don't have the connections to do it. That's the reason why I stay here because I, we, we continue to get dope opportunities thrown our way to do really cool, fun stuff. And if ass in the camera lady wants to be the person that like kills that kills those ads for creators, that's a problem because again, content creators of color and underrepresented folks are the ones who would never be able to do that. There was another content creator who was a black woman who tried to do that. She got banned as well. I think that the, I think if she had five bands, she would get a perma ban. I don't think that that works the same way for, for everybody else. I just don't think that that's the case. So if we're going to have that conversation and you're going to be across the board, putting out, you know, statements and that kind of stuff and trying to say, we're going to do this work in that way. You got to make sure you put the band hammer down in a real way and you make it stick and you make it mean something and you put some weight behind it. <laughs> so I, that's all I got to say about this, this nonsense. Cause it's stupid. This is dumb. Like why? For what? For what? Anyway, um, we have some cool stuff, uh, coming down the pipe very, very soon. I'm going to be on vacation next week. So I'll, I'll, we'll probably either run a rerun on, on the podcast feeds, uh, for next week. Uh, or I may sneak in, uh, and ask Kai anything again, if you want to, um, throw in some, some questions for ask Kai anything so I can get you some dope content there. Um, please do that. Go to speakpipe.com slash spawn on me. Send me a question about anything you want on the planet. Anything. There are no holds barred. You can ask about anything. You cannot ask about Paris's cooking because we all know that the answer to that is yuck. Um, but you can ask me any question. I'll answer it and I'll, and I'll put up an episode next week. I'm going to be going to see some friends in another, in another town. Uh, so I'm going to be going to do it, going to do that. So super excited for that. And I hopefully will have some interesting conversations to bring back with me, um, on the way back. Cause there may be some conversations and some announcements on the way back, um, in the next week. So thank you all so much for rocking. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, as always, you know, massive love to Lisette, uh, T tree Montgomery for being, uh, being amazing and coming through. We've had fantastic folks from Double Fine on our show back to back. We want to have more folks on the show to talk about the cool things that they do. Please, please, please. This is my this is my my wish. And I really want people to take this to heart. People are people are not subscribing to the show in the way that they used to. Subscriber numbers are down. Please share the show with folks and tell them how about the good work that I'm doing here. Please let them know that Spawn of Me is worth their ear. Um, a lot of people are still home. So podcast numbers are down across the board for a lot of different creators. Um, we'll see if that jumps back up once people start going in and commuting again, but who knows? 
Um, but it would really help us out in the same ways that we ask people to give us five star reviews. Ask people to listen to the show, tell them how dope we are, um, and spread the word because you get a you know we have thousands of subscribers. Uh, but we want to figure out ways that we can get more people into the fold so that we can do more cool stuff across the industry. So you, you are a part of that work. Uh, you are a part of that audience. You're a part of that family. Uh, and it, it means so much for us to kind of get that stuff out there and, and, and get into bigger spaces. Um, tomorrow, if you're looking and you're rocking on Twitch, Presence of Mine uh, is coming back for another episode. I'll be hosting it alongside Alana Pierce and Greg Miller. Uh, for Kaiser Permanente and Cloud9. We'll be talking again about more mental health conversations with our Presence of Mind show. Uh, that's 5.30 p.m. PST. Uh, if you're watching here on Twitch, if you're listening to audio, you'll see it on a rerun. Uh, but yeah, please make sure you're coming through. Make sure you're spreading some love and, and uh, we'll see you all next week with another episode of the Spawn of Me podcast. Much love to everybody. I hope you are having a wonderful week. Please take care of yourselves. Please make sure you're doing okay. Please make sure you're spending time with your family and friends. Um, And we'll see you all very, very soon. Much love to you all. Peace.